Welcome again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. Coming to you here with another Spun Belt edition. And sorry about last week, we were unable to get a pot up uh, due to some technical difficulties, but we're back this week for episode 16 of the Underdog Podcast. And today we're going to talk some Fun Belt football, kind of recap what was uh, – kind of a disappointing week one for the league and give us a quick preview for uh, what's on the slate for week two. And joining me today will be our guy, Aikman Chambers. Aikman, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Doing good, Adam. And uh, you're right. It was a less than stellar week uh, for the Sunbelt. Our three uh, our three Sunbelt powerhouses were took care of uh, uh, pretty decently by their big opponents. Uh, Arkansas State put up a fight and then uh, – we definitely had some of our mid to lower tier Sunbelt teams uh, have some less than impressive games against some FCS opponents. Yes, that's for sure we did. And for me, I came away with three storylines from the weekend. The first one was uh, the big, the tier one of the league is really App State, Arkansas State, Troy. I think everybody would agree they're head and shoulders above the rest of the league um, in 2017. And each three of those programs was going on the road this week with a chance to really put a good uh, performance out for the league. Now, for App State, I think most people kind of realized that they weren't that w- that wasn't going to be a win, but we thought they could be competitive, much like they were in Knoxville last year, but that did not happen. And then Arkansas State actually put up the best challenge on the road at Nebraska and was had the ball um, inside the red zone with a chance to tie it um, the last possession of the game. But the biggest disappointment for me was Troy. They went up to Boise and really – their offense was totally shut down. It was a game I thought could be a shootout. I believe they finished with 205 total yards of offense. So really just kind of a letdown um, for the big dogs this week. Oh, it most definitely was. Appalachian State was just destroyed by penalties at every uh, every drive Appalachian State had. That They started to move the football. Taylor Lamb, I mean, had to do it all Saturday. Taylor Lamb was, I think, about the only player that stepped up for Appalachian State. Jalen Moore was held in check uh, all day. Georgia knew Appalachian State was going to lean on him a lot, especially when we learned around game time that Shaden Metters and Darrington Evans, the two top receiving guys for Appalachian State, were going to be out. So that had led to some true freshmen having to move up and play number one and number two receiver roles for Appalachian State. And, you know, had a lot of youth on the field, and it showed against a very game and experienced uh, Georgia team. Yeah, it's never good to have your freshmen playing their first game against the defense, the caliber of what Georgia has. And, of course, uh, Jalen Moore, I believe, if you take out, I think he had a burst for 22 yards. If you take out that run, I believe he had 16 carries for 13 yards or something crazy like that. And then, of course, penalties. I think the Mountaineers were flagged 11 times for 105 yards. So it was really nothing really went well on the day for uh, Scott Satterfield's ball club. Oh, most definitely not. It was a less than stellar day, but I, I don't think it's a game that app fans need to overreact about. Because listen, we can't. You can't go into a, a game against a top tier Power Five opponent, you know, every year and expect just because you're Appalachian State to compete. You know, you're going to have those games where I mean, Georgia is supposed to win these games. 
by by 21 points or plus by three scores they're supposed to do that and you know I thought the spread favored Georgia just a little bit at 14 and a half what it was the last week I thought I, th- I honestly thought that was a little low yeah you could say that it's just Georgia underestimated as a team last year but they definitely had the ta- they're one of the more top five to ten talented teams in the country it's just Dumb playing to that talent, and that's why I thought it was gonna it was just a rough matchup for App State because one thing Kirby Smart's defenses do is stop the run, and that's what App State hangs their hat on. So if you when you take away your strength like that, you're gonna be in trouble. But one team I want to touch on was Arkansas State. I thought they played really well there on Saturday night in Memorial Stadium. Now they gave up over 200 yards on the ground, which was a worry, but Justice Hansen threw for over 400 yards. Uh, Tossed it 68 times and really spread it out to a bunch of receivers. I like what I saw from Arkansas transfer Kendrick Edwards outside on the perimeter. And it looks like with Blake Anderson taking over that offense, that that's going to return to being one of the more more potent offenses in the Sun Belt this season. Well, I'll tell you what. I seen that stat line of Justice Hansen, and it blew me away Sunday morning when I seen it. Uh, 46 of 68. 415 yards, three TDs. I mean, Arkansas State was in this thing from the get-go. I believe it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at halftime, the score was 27-26. to 26. And, uh, I, I mean, so Arkansas State was in this. The spread in this game was, I believe, 14, I believe, was the spread, 14 or 15. And I, I thought the Red Wolves could hang with Nebraska. Uh, this is Nebraska's been known to want to run it up on smaller teams, especially at Memorial Stadium. But Arkansas State and that defense, you know, they they were even though they gave up 43 points against Nebraska, the big story is how the offense because we suspected the offense with a young offensive line, offensive line issues, you know, were how was the running game going to fare? How would the passing game go? Arkansas State's offense, I think, exceeded expectations against Nebraska. Absolutely, Hanson looked uh, really, really good, much improved off of last year. And then uh, we'll just touch on Troy before we move on. Just a kind of a disappointing game by their offense. Um, they were just really shut down from, I believe, they had like five possessions in a row where they faced uh, third and more than ten in each possession. And then just uh, they had a fumble when they were going in for a touchdown that ended up being a touchback. And then their only really touchdown came off of a pick six by Blaze Brown in the second quarter. But I was really impressed with their defense. It was a one-possession game all the way until right right around the two-minute mark when Boise, when Boise put up the last touchdown to put it on ice. So if they can get that offense figured out, I think the Trojans are going to be just fine. Yeah, and, you know, this shocked me because I, I think one of the questions we had, I thought we thought, you know, preseason-wise, offense for Troy was pretty set. We thought we knew what to expect out of this offense with Jordan Chun and Brandon Silvers. But Silvers really struggled in Boise, 17 for 33, 139 through the air, had an interception, no touchdowns. His QBR only equaled out to about an 18.4, which, I mean, Brett Rippon didn't – you know, didn't have that great of a game either. But Boise State, you know, they had the running game was a lot more balanced for Boise State than what it was for Troy. Jordan Chun only 11 carries, 41 yards. Where as Boise State's guys were balanced, you had a guy with 80 plus, 40 plus, and 30 plus. Troy didn't have that. They struggled to get a uh, a guy over. 30 yards barely, so I, I, it was just a disappointing offensive debut in 2017 for the Troy Trojans. Yes, there's no way to hide around that, but they have the talent there to get it fixed, and I think they will. The second storyline for me was FCS challenges some programs in the Sun 
felt. And, of course, the big one was Tennessee State going and ruining that opener at Georgia State Stadium. Oh, that game was, you know, that game, I, had, I, I sit back and laugh about it now for the simple fact, and I don't mean this by any disrespect to any Georgia State fans that's going to listen to this by any means, but your running game is just as horrid as what it was a year. I mean, they could not run the ball. Taz Bateman only had 31 <laughs> yards on 11 carries. That's That only equals out to, what, 2.83 yards a carry somewhere in that generalized uh, set. I mean, Connor Manning was – he was 14 for 17. I mean, so, I mean, his passing was there. He didn't pass, I mean, technically a lot when you think of football today and in a passing uh, game, especially at the college level. He had 159 yards but couldn't uh, get a touchdown. Aaron Winchester was four for six passing. He's had the lone passing touchdown, uh, the lone touchdown altogether for Georgia State. And Tennessee State, you know, we knew um, uh, Treon Harris, uh, the Florida transfer, could play. He was 12 for 25, 145, but, I mean, Tennessee State got it done on the ground. They had Seth Rowland and uh, Tre- and Treon Harris used his legs too. Yeah, it was total domination by Tennessee State. You mentioned that rushing. Overall, the TSU ran for 238 to Georgia State's 49. Then they won the turnover battle 4-0. to zero. Anytime that happens, you're not going to have really any chance to win a game. Tennessee State dominated for the entire 60 minutes. I think uh, Georgia State was really – Fortunate to, that it was only a touchdown difference. Um, TSU missed some field goals early on. That really could have been a lot more embarrassing than it actually was. Oh, I agree with you 100%. That game, uh, Tennessee State, if it wasn't for a couple things here or there, you could easily be looking at a 24-10, to 10, you know, 27-10. I mean, the game could have been a, a lot bigger stretch than the, the seven points that it was. I agree with you. Right, and then we also had – Southeastern Louisiana, really kind of playing, outplaying um, UL Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, an absolute shootout. If it wasn't for a couple of kickoff returns for touchdowns, I think the Cajuns would be sitting at 0-1. And then, of course, Texas State really struggled to put te- Houston Baptist away. Their defense had a really impressive game for the Bobcats, but their offense just really could not create any separation for the entire uh, second half. No, the Texas State-Houston Baptist game shocked me a lot more than the Southeastern and uh, Raging Cajun game because I thought Louisiana Lafayette had the toughest FCS opponent for Week 1 in the Sun Belt because Southeastern Louisiana is a good ball club. This is a team that's probably going to make the playoffs at the FCS level uh, out of the Southland Conference. They, I, I thought they could play Louisiana Lafayette tough. But I thought this would be a game for Texas State and San Marcos where they would go in and that they would be able to, to you know, to show the improvement, show why they had the number one recruiting class out of the Sun Belt this past year because Houston Baptist, still a younger program, I think has only had a team since like 2012, I believe. So they're still a young, up-and-coming FCS program. And Texas State, you know, they struggled to put these these guys away. At halftime, the score was 10-9. to and it was just a rough day uh, in in San Marcos. I mean, and leave it to Houston Baptist. They were pretty balanced uh, between their rushing game and uh, their uh, and uh, their passing game and, and things of that nature. So uh, I, I give credit to Houston Baptist here, and I think that Texas State, to me, the most underwhelming performance week one award goes to Texas State. Yeah, for me it'd be Georgia State, but Texas State was a close second. We've talked about it multiple times. It's just going to be a rough year in San Marcos. There's no way to get around that. But back to Cajun Field, it was the one of the more exciting 
games in all of college football week one. You had two kickoff return for touchdowns by the Cajuns. You had a punt return by Southeastern Louisiana. You had some long touchdown runs in the first quarter by both teams. Really going back and forth, you had explosive plays all night, and then they would take a blocked extra point uh, by UL Lafayette at the end to seal the game. So really a fun game to watch, but I think the Cajuns are going to have to fix out a bunch of defensive issues after allowing 343 yards on the ground. Oh, most definitely so. There, there's going to have to be a, a lot of things changed by uh, that Louisiana Lafayette defense. I mean, this game was 35-35 at the half. I mean, this this had the makings of if you could play an over on this game and, and you know, th- this was definitely going to go over the total as it would have. There, there was no way they would have put an over under it as high as this game was combined. And I'll tell you what, Jordan Davis passing the ball, he was 12 uh, for 23, 162 yards, had a touchdown. You know, he protected the ball, didn't throw an interception. So he had a pretty good game. Running the ball, Louisiana Lafayette did okay. They were pretty balanced uh, as far as uh, with their guys rushing the ball. But southeastern Louisiana ran all over this defense. The Louisiana Lafayette special teams and offense is what kept them in this game and kept them in the lead because if it wouldn't have been – for the offense and the special teams because the defense by far was not helping out the Raging Cajuns at all. No, not at all. Mark Hudspeth definitely has a lot to work on. And then finally, I think the floor is rising. ULM put up a good fight against Memphis. New Mexico State fought for 60 minutes at Arizona State. Coastal Carolina dropped the hammer on UMass. Um, it was just a real teams that expected to finish at the bottom of the league really performed well, I thought, in their opening games. Well, Coastal Carolina, uh, I predicted in my preview article uh, for week one for Coastal Carolina that they would get a win. I thought this team would be ready to play at home against UMass now. It hurt. Adam Brenneman went down with an injury in this game, I believe, and that hurt UMass because, you know, he's their tight end, but he's their number one receiver. This is the guy that Andrew Ford looks after. I mean, every single passing play, you're going to be sure Andrew Ford is going to read over an Adam Brenneman route, and, you know, that you could tell – that that uh, when he went down, that that was a a big loss for UMass. But Osharmar Abercrombie played as expected. Seventeen carries, 149 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, this young man showed why he is, in my opinion, one of the better backs in the Sun Belt Conference. Coastal uh, did not pass the ball a lot in this game. Tyler Keene got the start at quarterback for Coastal. He was 9 for 17 and a touchdown. Coastal Carolina really relayed heavily on the ground. They only passed the ball 18 total times in the game compared to running it 47 times. Put up 321 rushing yards. It was mostly led by Abercrombie. But they got out game 441 to 401, and their pass defense got shredded three uh, 362 yards by the Minutemen, and that probably would have been even more if Brenneman doesn't go out with an injury. But they won the turnover battle 2 to nothing, and that was really the big reason why they were able to come away with that win. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, Andrew Ford had that fumble there. that uh, They lost also, uh, you know, Isaiah Rogers and uh, Ross Cromus also fumbled the ball. Uh, so the turnovers, to me, was the difference in this game. Um, it, you know, the old adage is, you know, turnovers is what makes or breaks you in a, in a close ball game, and it's shown through here. We've got two buys this week um, as Coastal Carolina and Georgia State are taking the rare week two off. So we won't have anything from the Panthers and the Chanticleers this coming weekend. 
But we do have some weeknight football as on Friday night, Oklahoma State will be traveling to Mobile to take on Joey Jones' South Alabama Jaguars. It's an 8 o'clock kickoff on ESPN2 at Ladd People's Stadium. Of course, South Alabama played one of the best passing attacks in the country last week and got lit up by Shea Patterson at Ole Miss. And now they're playing an even better passing attack this week as Mason Rudolph and the Cowboys roll into town. It's going to be a tall, tall task for uh, South Alabama this week, Aikman. Uh, it's definitely going to be tough. They're going to need to. Uh, they're going to definitely need to channel some of that inner uh, uh, Joey Jones, uh, where South Alabama comes out and uh, plays way above their head, like they did a few times last year. Uh, South Alabama played Ole Miss close in the first half. The game was only 13-10 at halftime. Then all of a sudden, Ole Miss exploded in the third quarter, put up 27 third-quarter points, and that was the difference in the game. South Alabama just got manhandled in that third quarter, and it, it just took them out of the game. And, you know, this is a Oklahoma State team. They can score and score fast with their passing attack. Uh, last week against uh, Tulsa, you know, Mason Rudolph was – Pretty much almost as stellar as you could get. He was 20 for 24 passing, 303 yards and three touchdowns. And, you know, there, there's a chance he could have a similar stat line this week. Oklahoma State, one thing they do better than Ole Miss is run the football. Justice Hill's a really good running back. It's just going to be hard for them to stop this Oklahoma State offense. But their offense did show some signs against Ole Miss last week. And you never know of these weeknight games. Crazy stuff usually happens. So, I think this will be closer than the experts believe, but in the end, Oklahoma State's just going to have too much, and I think they cruise an easy victory. Uh, I'm right there with you. I'll take the Cowboys here. The spread opened up at 28. That's a lot of points, but uh, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, four touchdowns is a lot to lay on the road, especially on a weeknight for sure. But we'll move to the Saturday day action as Texas State travels to Colorado for a, I believe, 2 p.m. Eastern kickoff. This is going to be a tall, tall task for Everett Withers. Bobcats as they enter as a 35-and-a-half-point dog. Oh, this is going to be a rough game for Texas State. Colorado took a Colorado State team uh, last week. Who Colorado State, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, in that Week 0 matchup against Oregon State, Put up 58 points, really showed why they have one of the better uh, passing offenses in the Mountain West. And Colorado used that strong defense and just stifled Colorado State last week in, uh, in Denver. Uh, only allowed three points. Texas State only scored 20 points against Houston Baptist. I'm going to be honest with you here, Adam. I don't know if Texas State will score in this game. I was leaning that same way, Aikman. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. It's just going to be ugly. I don't think Texas State really even can stay competitive for a quarter. I mean, it's a letdown spot for Colorado coming off the big rivalry win. But this is an experienced club. Mike McIntyre is a good head coach, and I think uh, the Buffs are going to roll in this one. Um, I agree with you uh, 100%. This, uh, once again, that's a lot of points uh, to give up in a game 35 and a half. But I, I could easily – this game to me has – I could easily see a, a 42 nothing right here. Absolutely. And then we'll move on. 3.30 kickoff, ESPN3. Appalachian State is hosting FCS Savannah State to try to get their first 
victory of the season. Eggman, what can you tell us about the Savannah State Club? Well, I can I can tell you this. These two teams have met once before. 2011 Appalachian State uh, took care of business uh, 41-6. to This is a game Savannah State did not play week one. They had a week one bye week, so we talk about the rarity of a week two bye. Try a week one bye, and so that's even stranger than than anything else. But Savannah State, this is a team that has not had a winning record since 1998 when this team was a not even an FCS team. They were a Division II team last time they had a winning record at uh, Savannah State. I don't think this game is going to be close at all. Uh, the last uh, few years, last three years, and this has been with Savannah State playing two FBS opponents this season, they have given up 371 total points against the FBS teams. Uh, App State is going to look after that tough game against Georgia. I think you're going to see the Mountaineers offense uh, get back to form here. Hopefully, Shaden Metters and Darrington Evans is going to be back for this game. I don't necessarily think by some chance if they weren't back, it's going to affect App State that much because Jalen Moore should have, I expect him to have a humongous bounce back game here. I think App State rolls, and I don't even know that Taylor Lamb plays the fourth quarter here. I'm right there with you. I think it's an opportunity for the Mountaineers to get that bad taste out of their mouth from last weekend. I think they're going to get back to their running ways and post a ton of yards on the ground. Like you said, Big game coming from Jalen Moore, and I think I'd expect to see a defense that's chomping at the bit to get out there and dominate somebody. Oh, I agree with you 100%. This game, to me, I expect Appalachian to have 35-plus at halftime. I think they're just going to come out and try to impose their will. I see this game. I don't even know that this game will get a spread line put on it because not a lot of Savannah State games do because they're so bad. I easily see this being, you know, 56 to 7 something of that nature so it looks like it's gonna be a cakewalk for the mountaineers move on to a four o'clock kickoff as the cajuns travel to tulsa to take on the golden hurricane this will be on espn3 but it's looking like this one can be a shootout when seeing that the two defenses of these teams last week got lit up of course ul lafayette by southeastern louisiana and then Tulsa there in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. There's a chance, I, I tell you what, it hasn't been posted yet uh, to my knowledge. I know the spread has uh, opened up at, in this game at 15. I want to wait and see what the over-under is here, but I have a feeling that the over-under in this game is going to be high, and I don't know still that the over is not the play in this game. Yeah, the total I got was 64.5, so what do you think on that, Aikman? Are you going over or under that? Oh, that? I'm, I'll take the over at 64.5. I could easily see this being a, a 42-35 ball game. I mean, this game, neither team has a defense, so I see the, the both offenses really looking good and both defenses, once again, really looking bad. Yeah, it's a bounce-back opportunity for that Raging Cajun defense. It was a group I was high on going into the season. And really their pass defense held up well, but they just got gashed on the run. And, of course, Tulsa runs that veer-and-shoot offense with Phillip Montgomery, which it comes from – it's really the Art Bryles-Baylor offense where they're going to spread you out, throw a lot of vertical routes. But ha they're going to have large splits, so the running lanes are going to be open and they're going to be able to gash you. So they really need to get that run figured out, or D'Angelo Brewer could have a huge day on the ground for the Golden Hurricane. Right now, it looks like Tulsa's a two-touchdown favorite, but you got to like that over as you got to expect 
both these teams are going to put up a bunch of points. But the thing that scares about me with the Cajuns is they benefited a ton off big plays and special teams last game. What happens if that's not there for them this week? Oh, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, this is if, you know, if Tulsa gives up uh, big plays, both teams gave up their fair share of plays, uh, big plays a week ago. You know, it happened a lot on Louisiana Lafayette on special teams. To me, the make or break in this game, obviously the defense is make or break for Louisiana Lafayette, but special teams could be a make or break for this uh, Raging Cajun team again this week. They gave up uh, some kick returns last week. They gave up, I know, a 60-yarder for a touchdown, and I believe they gave up some pretty more uh, pretty good returns as well. Special teams is one of those things that can kill you in an instant, and I think you know for Louisiana Lafayette that special teams could be a do-or-die in this situation. Absolutely. It's going to be a tall, tall task for Mark Hudspeth's squad as they head on the road for the first time this season, and it'll be one of seven games on that schedule. We'll move on down to a 6 o'clock kickoff. We got Troy hosting FCS Alabama State uh, on ESPN3. Do you think that uh, Troy gets back to their high-scoring ways this Saturday, Eggman? I think it happens. I think you're going to see Troy uh, take care of business here. They're at home. They're back in the conference of Veterans Memorial Stadium, a nice 6 o'clock uh, Eastern time start. I think Brandon Silvers gets back to play in uh, his traditional way of football. I think Jordan Chun has a big one in this. He's going to bounce back after only 40 yards rushing uh, a week ago. I think Chun goes for a buck 50, maybe close to two here. I think Silvers goes for close to two for, through the air, and I think you see Troy Cruz in this one. I agree with you 100%. I think it's going to be much like Appalachian State. They're going to get that bad taste out of their mouth. I expect we'll see more than 11 carries for Jordan Chun to get him going and rumbling. And I'd expect Silvers to get up close to 70 to 75% completion percentage after a really nightmarish performance there on the blue turf in Boise. Yes, going across country last week and uh, uh, playing in the hostile envir- environment of Boise, uh, you can obviously tell it. Boise was just a little too much for Troy. Troy did not come out and play Troy football that we seen a year ago. They played more like Troy football, you know, that we seen, you know, two, three, and. F- Four years ago, I mean, the chemistry wasn't there. Things just not working out. But I think we see Troy get back to uh, what we thought Troy would be from preseason this week. Yes, and we'll move on. There's another 6 o'clock kickoff in the belt over in Statesboro. Georgia Southern's coming off a game where they were just absolutely dominated by Auburn. Their only touchdown came on a scoop and score in the second quarter. They had less than 100 yards of total offense. It was a total nightmare for Tyson Summers' club. As Shea Wirtz finished, in, or Shy Wirtz, excuse me, in his first game finished with eight yards passing on eight attempts and 16 yards rushing on 23 carries. And the defense let, gave up 535 yards. And now they'll be hosting FC Hess, New Hampshire, which is a consistent winner at that level. So, Aikman, do you think Georgia Southern gets back to, gets their first win and gets back going? Or are they in for a tougher game than mo- most people are expecting? Well, I'm going to say this. Number one, that offense is going to have to get better. You look at the stat lines, and it was just atrocious, as you mentioned. Uh, it, it, I don't even know what words to describe how bad that offense looked against Auburn. Now, granted, that was against a very top-tier SEC team 
in Auburn. But New Hampshire is a very tough team. I think this is a game, I think New Hampshire hangs around longer than Georgia Southern fans would like to think that they would in this game. New Hampshire last year, um, they had a really good, uh, they had a pretty good year. They finished uh Eight and five last year, but they made it to the second round of the FCS playoffs. They absolutely obliterated Lehigh in the first round last year, 64-21, and then fell to the eventual national champions at the FCS level, uh, James Madison University, uh, in the second round, which by no means I, I think is a bad loss considering what JMU did last year and what they did in week one. So this is a good New Hampshire Wildcats team. They're coming off a tough win over their arch rival Maine to start the year. I believe a 24-23 was the only score of that game last week. So we'll see how it looks. But New Hampshire by no means is just a team that I, that Southern fans just need to think they're going to push over right from the get-go. I agree 100%. It's going to be a game that's going to come down the fourth quarter. I know that's going to disappoint some people there in Statesboro. But – that offense is going to get going again. That's just a tough, tough matchup, that first game against Auburn and your quarterback's first ever start. I, I expect Words to have a really good game. And Wesley Fields and L.A. Ransby to get rolling on the ground. Georgia Southern wins, but it's a close one with New Hampshire. But we'll move on here to 7 o'clock kickoff over on the ACC Network. It should be a game that you should be able to see on ESPN3. ULM travels to Tallahassee to take on the Florida State Seminoles as a 32-point dog. But Florida State, of course, lost their star quarterback, DeAndre Francois, for the season due to an injury in the Alabama game. And now they'll be starting a freshman for his first really playing time ever. So really, if for ULM to play Florida State, this is probably the best game to play them at. Well, it is. And Louisiana Monroe's coming off. Uh, they, they gained a little bit of confidence in that game against Memphis, uh, Last week, uh, they didn't gain the confidence in the in the first half by any means, but the second half, you know, after they gave up the big, uh, they gave up that big third quarter to Memphis, and then all of a sudden the fourth quarter, Monroe was trying their best to come back and make that game as interesting as possible, and and semi did. They only lost the game by eight points, so you know a touchdown and a two point conversion, and that game goes to overtime. So Monroe exceeded expectations in week one, and you know this is a game. The one thing that scares me here, now the spread opened up at 33.5, which once again is a lot of points, but you know Monroe did some things uh, well in that Memphis game, but the thing that worries me here for them on the behalf of the Warhawks is that, that the, losing Francois for the year for Florida State may kind of have the same effect with them that Georgia had when Jacob Eason got knocked out of the game against App State last week. You've seen a different Georgia team. They pulled together and put the hammer down Who's to say, with a true freshman at quarterback, who's to say Florida State might not do the same thing? Right. You, you just don't know. I think you're going to see a lot more ground attack from Florida State. So expect a big game on the ground from the Seminoles as ULM still has problems as they gave up 319 yards rushing to Memphis. I think if Florida State wants it, they could get at least 400 on the ground this coming Saturday. But we saw some good things from that Warhawk offense. They outgained Memphis for the night and had 25 first downs to 16 for Memphis. Really, the thing that the Tigers hurt them on was big plays, and the turnover bug, of course, bit them again as it was 4-2 four to, four to in favor of Memphis. But we saw some good signs. They moved the ball with both quarterbacks, and I think it's, you know, this is going to be a loss this week. They're going to start out 0-2, but 
but you're seeing good signs and they're building something slowly there with Matt Viator and Monroe. Yeah, they definitely are. You know, they got a lot of JUCO guys uh, down there at uh, Louisiana Monroe, so they're not getting a lot of co- what you say true freshmen in there because they're getting guys that's got JUCO experience. I believe uh, if you look on their roster, they got more the most JUCO guys of any team in the Sun Belt, I believe, and so they've got guys that's got playing experience as far as at a at a semi different college level but this is a team that's up and coming I think things are going to start to piece together uh, for this Monroe team and and things are going to get better because they showed some signs against Memphis but this is not the week you're not going to be able to take away a lot of progress I don't think from Monroe against Florida State this week right it's just just for Monroe just to do some good things whether it's scoring a few touchdowns or get getting a few turnovers just get something to build off of as you get into an easier part of your schedule but we'll move on to another 7 o'clock kickoff over in the Kibbe Dome. The Vandals are hosting the running Rebels of UNLV as a six-and-a-half-point home favorite. Idaho last week, after a slow start, their offense finally got cranking in the second quarter, and their defense absolutely dominated FCS Sacramento State as they held the, their future Big Sky opponent to only 190 total yards of offense. And UNLV, of course, is coming off the embarrassing home loss so in Idaho, the biggest win they had probably last year outside of the bowl game was early in the season as a 15-point dog. They went to Vegas and upset the UNLV running Rebels, Tony Sanchez's club. So as, as for the second year in a row, this is a big non-conference game for Paul Petrino's club. Oh, most definitely so. And I, I think six and a half is low here because Idaho, You know, if you look at how that game went against Sacramento State, Idaho came out sluggish. Nobody scored in the first quarter. Idaho finally started to put some things together in the second quarter, but that game, I don't think Idaho ever reached offensively their full capacity of what they could have done against that Sacramento State team. And the defense was there all night, so the defense was a juggernaut against Sacramento State. But the offense never truly got to their full potential, I don't think, in that game. I think that changes this week at home against UNLV, whose confidence is going to be destroyed after losing to a Howard Bison team that has been one of the uh, roughest FCS teams to play FBS teams in years past. I mean, they've been they've had 70 hung up on them consistently against FBS teams, but Kalen Newton, Cam Newton's younger brother, the quarterback for the Howard Bison, and uh, they were very impressive. I believe they were a 42 or a 43-point dog to UNLV last week, and they pulled that upset. So, I mean, UNLV's confidence, uh, to me, is going to be very hurt in this game, and I honestly think 6.5 is low. I love Idaho to win this game by two scores, at, at least. Last week seemed like Petrino was holding things a little close to the vest. They, uh, their passing game kind of struggled while Aaron Duckworth and Isaiah Saunders both had big games on the ground. I too like Idaho to roll in their home or in their first game against an FBS opponent. It's a big game for both teams and for Idaho to get back to the a bowl game, they're going to need to pick up this win over UNLV. Oh, they're definitely are. I think Lenahan comes back, and I think uh, I think you see Paterno turn it all loose this week. I think you're going to see that full offense uh, with its arsenal. I think you're going to see why this is an Idaho team that can compete. 
you know, for that fourth, uh, that five to four slot in the Sun Belt, uh, an outsider's chance if they were to pull that upset later in the year against one of the top three in their uh, in their go home year. I really think you see Idaho crank it up big time against the running Rebs. And we'll move on to our last game of the night. It's a huge battle in New Mexico as the Aggies of New Mexico State travel to Albuquerque take on the New Mexico Lobos, 8 o'clock Eastern time kickoff. Currently, New Mexico is a seven-point home favorite over the Aggies, but the Aggies have had a lot of success in terms against the spread against New Mexico. I believe they covered four of the last five, and they they upset the Lobos outright last year, and that was a New Mexico team that would go on to finish the regular season 8-4 and four and contend in the Mountain West Mountain Division. Contrasting styles as New Mexico State uh, spreads it out and throws it around, and then New Mexico with that heavy triple option attack that led the country in rushing last season. It's a big game for Doug Martin's squad, and it's a game that I actually think they're the better team, and I think they're going to get the win on Saturday. You know what? I, I think so, too. Uh, New Mexico State, uh, I, they very much impressed me against Arizona State, even though they didn't win that game. They played great. Tyler Rogers was 40 of 57 passing for right at 400 yards, three touchdowns, that incredible uh, touchdown catch from, I believe it was Jason Huntley who made that one-handed grab. I mean, that was a tremendous touchdown catch. Makes you think about Odell Beckham Jr. for uh, the Giants and the way he went up and grabbed that ball. I mean, and this is a big rivalry game. This is a game these two schools look forward to every year. What you know, it's been referred to the I twenty five rivalry, the Rio Grande rivalry. I mean, these two teams are going to go at it, and I think you're going to see New Mexico State win this game. They won it by one point a year ago uh, in La Cruz. It's back in, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, in Albuquerque this this year. But I think you're going to see New Mexico State win this game. Yeah, I like that here. As you said, it was actually Jalil Scott who had that big catch. and then um, But Jason Huntley was the one who had those big runs there in the third and fourth quarter. 549 total yards on a really good uh, – or a, a Pac-12 – not a really good, but a Pac-12 defense to say the least. And they were really – other than some turnovers, they were really in that game the entire time. And New Mexico, of course, runs that option, but they – New Mexico State knows how to defend that, and their defense really put up a good showing as they shut down an Arizona State rushing attack last weekend. So I really like the Aggies to pick up a big win there. And then we, if they win that one, we could be looking at a huge matchup in week three as Troy heads to Las Cruces to take on the Aggies. Oh, you're definitely right, and I apologize. Yes, you were right. I was looking at the wrong uh, wrong, wrong name in the stat line uh, when I'm talking about the one-handed catch, so that's my bad. My apologies, but yes. And New Mexico, you look at the final score of 38-14 against Abilene Christian a week ago. You, look at the, you need to go back and watch some of the first half of that game. New Mexico struggled in the first half against Abilene Christian. They were only up 14-7 at halftime. They got things rolling in the second half as they should, but I think that's something that New Mexico State, when they watch film on the Lobos this week, they're going to see that New Mexico struggled mightily in the first half against Abilene Christian, and New Mexico and, you know, they can't do that against New Mexico State because the Aggies are definitely not Abilene Christian. That's 100% correct. I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Aggies, and they're going to surprise some people this fall. But we'll go ahead and wrap it up here, Aikman. What are one thing or a couple things you're, you're looking for this weekend for the Sun Belt to accomplish? Well, I'm, 
I'm looking for number one, our big three. To at least two of the three are gonna, I think, are you never see a game as 100%, but I think Troy and App State's matchups are as close to 100% as you can get. I mean, it would take disastrous, disastrous performances for App State and and Troy not to win because if Troy or App State did, wouldn't win one of their matchups uh, this week, it, I'm, the disappointment level would be through the roof. So I look for at least Troy and App State to get back on track. I look for Arkansas State to flex their muscle and not go down easy. And I also look for some of our mid-level teams, New Mexico State, Idaho, you know, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. I look for them to uh, I look for them to maybe uh, still continue to show that top level that, hey, we're still here and, and we're gunning for one of your top three spots. For me, it's a non-conference competition. Once again, the league has a chance to make a good name for himself. Now, they're going to be huge dogs in Texas State, Colorado, and ULM, Florida State. So those are out of the question. But they get two, they get power, power five teams come to Sun Belt home turfs this week. We got a national televised game Friday night when Oklahoma State goes to South Alabama. I think it's important teams to play well and put up a good showing for the league. That'd be good news. And then, of course, New Mexico State at New Mexico, uh, Idaho hosting UNLV, and then UL Lafayette going to Tulsa. I think it'd be huge for the league to at least get two wins out of those three. If they're able to do that, plus put on a good showing in their national recognition games, I think you could chalk it up as week two being a win. You're exactly right. And one of the teams I'm going to be watching uh, this week as far as uh, when it comes to their matchups, not one of your obvious picks like Arkansas State or, uh, or South Alabama because those are obvious picks of teams to watch this week, but I tell you what, one of the teams I'm definitely going to watch this week, as far as uh, their opponent wise, is Georgia Southern. I think Georgia Southern is a team that you definitely got to watch this week, see how they bounce back after that horrid performance, because I think Georgia Southern's in for a tougher game than what the fans at Allen E. Paulson Stadium is going to go in and expect. I agree with you there. That's going to be a sneaky, close game for Georgia Southern, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you, Aikman, again for coming on. Where can the people get, follow you at on Twitter? And tell us about some of the stuff you've been doing at Underdog Dynasty here lately. Well, of course, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Radio Guy AC. Uh, all my articles at Twitter handles right there. I've got App State, Savannah State preview coming out for you. Uh, uh, Coastal Carolina's on a bye week this week, so not a lot of coastal stuff coming out uh, this week as they're on a, a week two bye week, uh, but it got the App State stuff coming out for you. And uh, i tell you what, uh, the, things are – I think you're going to see things uh, get a lot better this week. I think that uh, you're going to see uh, App State uh, roll like they're supposed to. And I got that App State uh, – once again, that App State-Savannah State article preview, uh, start time, prediction of that game, all that uh, coming out this week. Absolutely, absolutely, Eggman. And, of course, on my end – We've got the Sunbelt Power Rankings out here recently. We'll have our previews and some Q&As going up with uh, South Alabama, Oklahoma State, and Florida State ULM. So be on the lookout for that as I'll be contributing to SB Nation's Oklahoma State and Florida State site as well as having some guys from their sites uh, come over and help us out with that. And, of course, all the other stuff we've been doing. Check out the other podcasts and all the game previews to keep up to date and once again, Aikman, thank you. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely, man. Anytime, you know, uh, I'm down to preview and uh, look at Sunbelt football. Going to be an exciting uh, week two. 
I think uh, we're going to see some steps taken forward this week. I think the Sun Belt will come out with a better overall record uh, this week than what we did in uh, in week one, and uh, things are looking up for a great year in the Fun Belt. Yes, I think it's going to be a real exciting weekend, and thank you to all your listeners for tuning in, and make sure you check us out next week.